Oiga, disculpe, ¿esta es una Laika? Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Laika Street Photography Collective. I'm Ricky, and today's guest is Raul Islas. I hope I got that right, but thank you for taking the time out of your day, giving the listeners something to listen to, so please introduce yourself, where you at, what you've been, what you do, anything you'd like the world to know. Uh, well, thank you. Thank you, Ricky, for having me. Uh, finally, after several tries, we, we managed to, <laughs> to have this, this conversation. Uh, and, and yeah, where, uh, well, who am I? Where I come from? Um, that's, a, that's a long story since I have a little bit background. Um, currently, I, I will work in different creative endeavors. Uh, I have worked as a creative director, as an art director in advertising. Uh, I, I've been working also uh, in some uh, movies. Uh, I started making music when I was very young. And as a photographer, I started um, taking pictures around uh, 20-something years ago. Um, when I was around... Uh, 14 years old. I'm 37 now, and um, and and yeah, I I started taking taking pictures very very young with an old um, film Nikon that I that I still have here in my collection, and uh, yeah, currently I am doing something close to street photography, whatever that means, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and and yeah, that's. That's what I do at the moment. Nice, nice, nice. So I've had some guests before, and it seems very common that people with musical backgrounds also like to be photographers. So I ask the question, which do you prefer, making music or making photos? That's a hard question and a very interesting one because I think it's very related. Uh, when when I am outside taking pictures, I have like the same feeling uh, I, I could have when I'm writing music or when I'm producing music. And um, the the moment where I can where I come back and I start start like developing my pictures. It's a very similar feeling than that of playing the music for others. So uh, I think it's pretty pretty related. The, also, many principles that you might apply in music, uh, like the, the the rhythm, have a lot of parallels with the composition, with with uh, producing visual images. So I think it's pretty related, but it just depends on. Some is made to, to listen to, and another one is to, uh, well, to be seen. And uh, both have also this other part in common that the last part of the equation is that you need someone else to appreciate either your music or your um, or, or your pictures. So, um, yeah, I don't know if that answers your question. No, it does. And I'm actually... Really excited. You said I've never heard a comparison of making music very similar to making photos. I don't know this because I don't make music, but that's such a great comparison. So thank you for sharing. 
to all my musical people out there who feel the same way. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, whoever plays an instrument will understand that. And I actually, I, I always say that my first job was was as a musician. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to be an electronic music producer, uh, and I started very young. So when I was 15 years old, I already had a, a couple years on me by producing music and uh, at the acceptable quality so I could start playing my music abroad. So uh, by, by the time I was 16, I, wa- I was, for instance, playing in an electronic music festival in Brazil for around 12,000 people. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and, and that was my job, uh, like in a very serious way for around eight years. So everything that I've done, my career is, is always related with creating something that either you can see or hear or, or uh, yeah. And it doesn't matter the, 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 the media that you're using. It's about creating, it's about capturing uh, or interpreting or expressing reality. So, so, so yeah, that, that's what I, as a professionally speaking, what I've been pursuing, um, the like different ways to express myself and to make a living out of that. Uh, but, well, uh, actually, photography it's not a way of living, but to surviving. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and yeah, it's just a, a means to to stay sane uh, and and still creating. Uh, yeah, I like that. So you're very creative throughout. Is any of your music when you were in DJ mode out in Brazil available on Spotify or Apple Music? We want. Oh to- yes, you can find my old, <laughs> you can find my old projects still in Spotify. And nice. I've, I've released a couple albums and I've released uh, around uh, probably twenty five, twenty something singles in different countries. Oh, nice. Yeah, I released uh, singles in, in Israel, in Brazil, United States, Colombia, France, uh, Spain, etc., Australia, South Africa. Okay. And uh, I, I released a couple albums, in one in Austria and another one in Germany. But that, that was in, we're talking 2005, something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was, I was very young. All right. So, yeah, you can find still a few things. How can they find your your music? Is there a certain name? <laughs> I, I wouldn't I wouldn't really like to share. It's one of those things that you did when you were young. Okay. That you loved back then. No but worries. that you're feeling <laughs> to share right now. <laughs> I mean I I was making we're talking about uh, uh, first psychedelic trance, which is a very fast and strong uh, in reinterpretation of trans music. Okay. But well, if anyone wants to listen to that, uh, you can find me as uh, Smug. It's called, it's uh, spelled S-M-U-H-G or uh, Divinorum. It's D-I-V-I-N-O-R-U-M. Divinorum or Smug. Yes. Uh, but yeah, you, I, I wouldn't recommend you to listen to, <laughs> to, listen to that. No <laughs> if, if you want to more like contemporary things you can go to uh, SoundCloud um, and, and it's uh, you can find me as uh, Raul Islas Music there and those are things that I've been doing lately that I still make music 
like in the same way I do photography now. It's not really my job, mm-hmm. but I do, I do it just for the pleasure of creating. Nice. Well, I was going to, I'll get those in there if you're all right, all right with that. But that's awesome that you were able to create music and just reach people. I know music has such a, a strong connection, like really any creative medium that we choose. And I say that because when I was a civilian many, 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 many years ago, like my circle of close friends were all DJs. So whenever one was at a a club or an event, we would all go. We show up, support each other. But standing behind the DJ booth and just looking at the dance floor and seeing how everybody was just feeling you know the vibes i'm sure you you understand yeah. what i'm saying it's yeah i'm, it's, I'm feeling goosebumps right now when <laughs> when you're saying that because it brings me a lot of memories yeah. yeah yeah especially i mean it's a people tend to think that like being an artist especially a musician mm-hmm. is a very glamorous life and it's a, a like a, a life they would want to to live, but it's actually in in reality it's a very lonely life. That's why I left. That's why I quit making music because you l- lose complete control of your own life and even of your own schedule. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, you have a, a manager that tells you where you're going to to be uh, for the next six months, and and you have no choice to. To, to have a, a life or, or they will sign a contract to release a new album when when you don't really feel like you you're uh, you want to produce anything or you're not really inspired because you're tired I don't know it's a, it's a very actually it's a very stressful and and lonely life and actually like that uh, it, it like that very uh, relieving part or that very uh, I don't know how to say it in English but it's where, where you can release all of that tension all of that stress yeah. it's uh, when you play because you spend most of your life most of your week uh, locked in, in, in your studio mm-hmm. and then during weekends you have the chance to play the music you were writing or uh, yeah, to test it in the dance floor, to test it with people, and 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 there's where uh, you feel like okay, all 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 of these sacrifices I'm doing, all of this not having a girlfriend, all of this not uh, uh, spending time with my family are worth it because that energy is something that you can't describe in in, in words when when you see that people is uh, having. Uh, such a great time with something you created for them. So yeah, that that's really yeah, that's really uh, yeah interesting. So your your bosses were the music, the record labels. I assume. I hear it's very similar to having like sponsors. In my case, it would be for podcasting and speaking to some people previously you know, a lot of their content is kind of like, like, oh, you can talk about this and you can talk about that. And when I yeah. first when I first started this podcast, I kind of, I was, you know, 
I, I would say, I'll honestly, I'll, I'll open up and I'll say I was desperately looking for sponsors. And the reason why I was, was because I wanted to use them as more of, of a marketing kind of aspect so that they can help push me out more than I would be able to by myself. What I didn't know was that I don't need them and that if I have the patience and mm-hmm. the dedication, that those same people that they will help me reach faster I was still able to reach by myself. It just took a little more time. And without a sponsor, yeah. I'm able to continue creating this content, these podcasts with things that I feel that I would want to talk about. Not that we don't talk about things that we shouldn't, but maybe, you know, one time I'm, I got to send in a copy of what I recorded and like, oh, no, you can't add that. And then I, I lost half of a recording. So. Yeah, that that also is like touching something in my past. <laughs> <laughs> uh, because uh, yeah, that 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 uh, that that sounds like a, something that was happening to me as well. And, and the reason why why I literally fired my manager back then, and uh, it, it was because, as, as I was telling you, I had not really control of my creative process. Mm-hmm. I really didn't uh, had the chance to create whatever I wanted, but whatever the record label thought that was going to sell better. So I, I remember that uh, actually my second album was canceled in the process because I was really frustrated in, 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 in that process of creating songs that I loved. And then the record label telling me that, uh, well, can you change that? Or can you make it faster? Or can you make it slower? Or let's put this track in the end, or let's take out this track of the of the of the album at all. And I was like, no, but I love this track, and I want that's what I want to tell. That's my my own creative expression, and that's what I want to share with the the, the people that well that that following my my music. Mm-hmm. And and that process what was like really defining back then, in, like in my at least in my musical career. And I decided to to cancel that process. And my intention back then was to don't have a manager and don't uh, rely on record labels to publish my own music, since I, I thought that I had still that, that I had already like enough uh, following. I mean, we're talking of MySpace times. So I had like MySpace two thousand followers back then, something like that. And and the truth was back then when there was no Facebook, when there was no. Uh, and nothing relevant to to self-publish your work. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the truth was was that uh, as soon as I stopped having these connections, I stopped being relevant in terms of uh, of getting gigs, of uh, publishing more albums, or uh, releasing singles. So, so, so yeah, that that's how I. Uh, stopped making music back then, and uh, if and and I can't help to think that if I'd have the the tools that we have today, mm-hmm. it would have been a completely different story. But yeah, we're talking and that it was in very different times. Yeah, I wonder if it's the same mm-hmm. for really big name photographers who also have. Like I'll just use ambassadors. So like ambassadors that work for whatever camera brand. If 
they have to face the same pressures. That would be interesting. There's only one person I personally know at that level, and I should ask him. Yeah. I think that that happens in, in that level between being a, a consolidated photographer, mm-hmm. let's say Alex Webb level, <laughs> and an and emerging artist level. I think that for an emerging emerging artist, let's say that you're in your way to publish your first book. Mm-hmm. I think the, the editorial that is publishing, the publishing house that is publishing that first book, uh, you, you can find yourself in probably in that in that process uh, or in a similar in a similar case. But if you're really like a consolidated artist, I think you have like. Uh, full open license to publish whatever you feel is, is better. Yeah. Also, times are changing and a large population of people are starting to realize that they don't need like these large companies. Now, they're gatekeepers and I hope I use the term correctly mm-hmm. and they kind of still have a dominance over the market of whatever industry that they're on. So for you, your record labels, for the music, or photographers and book publishing, they have, you know, big name book publishers. But we can self-publish. There's also websites for musicians. And the population around the world now just has so much more freedom to create and release their own content as opposed to they did many years ago in the 80s and the 90s, for say, more because of the internet and all of the stuff that we can do. And there's just people that don't want to be shackled down by these industry giants. Yeah. And, and that's, that's interesting as well to review because uh, I think that's a matter of having an audience or not. Mm-hmm. And on how the scenario is, is or easier or harder for you to put your work out there. I can recall a few examples of, um, for instance, there's this uh, very uh, polemic, let's say, or aggressive street photographer. It's called uh, Trevor Weisskopf, who is getting very viral, who is taking photographies in, in New York, especially, mm-hmm. and trying like to emulate a little bit the style of Bruce Gilden and publishing these confrontations he has, he have with, uh, with other people. And, uh, that's making his content very viral. And he recently published his own, uh, his, his own, well, publication, which was a success. And, uh, whenever you come back to his profile, you can see that he has 5,000 new followers. Uh, and, and he's growing super fast because his content is very uh, prone to engagement. Yeah. And by the other side, you can find uh, Magnum photographers with 300 followers. I mean, a, a Magnum photographer yeah. with whatever that means. Uh, that his official or her official account is 300 followers in Instagram. And, uh, but well, they, they have... Obviously, the, the 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 Magnum photos name on their on their backs to publish yeah. and to represent them, but uh, in like in social media 
terms, well, they're nobody versus someone who just starts creating content which is interesting for the masses, and, and they're probably starting to make a lot of money with yeah. uh, with that engagement versus mm-hmm. the, the real photographic uh, talent, let's say. That's true. The lesser-known people are actually becoming more, I don't know, larger as, as far as celebrities as opposed to yeah. like the ones that, that do really good work. Now that I'm saying that, cause I, I never heard of the photographer you mentioned before, but I know exactly what you mean where you have established photographers who work is amazing. And it's like, has the magnum yeah. stamp of approval. And like you said, 300 followers. And I've had this conversation many of times before where people are starting to realize like, the quality. I think that's what people mainly go for now is the quality of work doesn't equate to followers. So it was kind of like one of those axis scales where you have like, you know, good quality on one side and followers on the bottom. And, you know, there's mm-hmm. like your quality of work that's not so good. You have more followers yeah. and the quality of work that's amazing. You have less followers. It's just a, a weird no, no, conundrum. No, no, no. And this project that I'm, and this uh, photographer that I'm quoting, mm-hmm. he is actually a pretty good photographer. I mean, I, I like what he what he's doing. He's just playing it smartly mm-hmm. by producing this content and always having a GoPro recording whatever he does. But then we have this case of the TikTok photographers. These guys that come mm-hmm. with uh, cute girls and say, "Hello, I'm a street photographer. Yeah. <laughs> Can I take a picture of you?" And then they they have like their cameras in full auto autofocus whatever just in the red a in their cameras taking all of the decisions for them and and uh, these explosive uh, bokeh backgrounds that people tend to consider good photography because that's something that so far phones can't replicate yeah until now still like at that level so so. Whoever is just uh, browsing Instagram might appreciate that as good photography. Uh, and and these guys are making a lot of money selling their presets yeah. or sharing their their uh, sharing their settings in their camera or uh, with affiliate links in their for the gear they use. Mm-hmm. And now everyone wants to use obviously that uh, Sony camera. Uh, that that these guys are all all, they, all of them use like the same the same fifty millimeter lens which can uh, uh, produce this uh, blown up bokeh backgrounds yeah. and this uh, Sony Alpha camera that everyone is looking to have now because it, it got viral uh, in in this uh, in in this uh, through these uh, TikTok photographers and and yeah that's also super interesting to see on how people like regular people like the audience out there which is valid considers good photography versus the photography that someone that produces photography considers or like this difference between uh, Instagram audience photography versus photography for photographers 
Yeah. And, and yeah, in the end, we are a very small audience compared with, with, can, with what can go viral. That is true. So um, I'm writing notes down here. I, I want to, I got so much I want to say I have to write down so I don't forget. But I, I like how you said that. And today I was out shooting what I, I could because it was really nice in the afternoon. And then it just started raining really bad, which I'm not a fan of rain sometimes. And if it it was not so bad, I would have stood out, but it got really, really bad, like just torrential. Anyway, that's not the point of the story. I've noticed that just kind of going on what you're saying, like the photographers here and there, photographers are kind of like celebrities because everybody can see we're a photographer. We have a camera, we're walking down, and I have more people approach me and ask me if I'm a photographer because they see me with my camera than anyone would say if I was a DJ. You can't just walk around with turntables around your neck. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Like, oh, I'm going to go buy some food. Let me walk with my turntables. And so many people are really, I think their their enjoyment for photography is so good because they don't have the skills that we do. Now, I don't say skills. I'm, I mean more experience of making photos. You know, they're like, oh, I love photography. I love looking at pictures, you know, but they don't take the time to learn it. So maybe they see us as... I'm just going to say celebrities. Have you have you noticed or felt that way? Yes, yes, absolutely. And uh, <laughs> it's funny because, well, I, I think that in terms of street photography, and, and again, I don't like myself, I, I don't like to call myself a street photographer, but uh, that's like the closest thing to what I call recall whatever I do. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there, there are two types of, of uh, photographers there's the, the Bruce Gilden type which uses flash and is very aggressive and they interact with people and they don't really care about confrontations and then there's the uh, the, the other type of photography photographers to which I think I belong and where I identify the most that is more like sneaky and let's say even freaky and it's just hiding in the shadows and and just documenting whatever is happening without uh, without um, uh, interfering a lot with the the, the environment yeah. and uh, there are some times where people notice you and most of those encounters for me has been like uh, pleasant or interesting not necessarily people telling me to don't take pictures of them but they're curious on why I'm taking pictures. They ask me if I am either, and, and that's very interesting because if it's older people, they ask me if I'm a journalist. And if it's jo- younger people, they ask me if I have a TikTok account. <laughs> <laughs> and I say, no, I have not a TikTok account, but I have an Instagram account. Yeah. And, and uh, I, I know about this picture, but if it's good enough, you will see it in my Instagram account. And uh, yeah, that that's... Uh, uh, interesting how the camera, the the fact of having a camera, and especially a camera as, as beautiful as a Leica, uh, can call people's attention in in that way. Yeah. So I'm glad you said that. For some reason, 
my cameras are always reversed. And what I mean by that, I'm going to explain this. Whenever I'm walking around with my digital Leica, someone will ask me, oh, that's such a cool looking camera. It looks so old and vintage. Is that one film? Does that shoot film? And I'm like, no, <laughs> this one's digital. But I do shoot film and I have a similar camera. Now, when I'm walking around with my film Leicas, they'll ask me if it's a digital. <laughs> so I don't know why the film's cameras look digital and the digital cameras look like film cameras. I, I don't get it. Yeah, it's just that uh, I think digital cameras today, the, the image that people have about this a digital camera is, is like a electronic device. And it's, I mean, when, when I say this adjective, it's just my opinion, but it's this ugly looking electronic uh, uh, device like like the Sony's, mm-hmm. which you see a Sony camera, and you know that this is, yeah, this is an electronic thing. It, this is not a, like a, it's a computer. It's not a beautiful object, and and a Leica is a it's, it's a, a a beautiful object. I mean, you just see it, and and you will get a lot of compliments, and people will uh, say that well, this is a beautiful whatever this thing is, and then they will ask you what what is that, mm-hmm. and. Uh, it's not like uh, for me having a, a, a Sony camera, and then sorry if any if there's any shoot any Sony shooter out there. <laughs> but uh, those are really ugly. It's like having an iPhone. It's for me. It's like the same feeling of uh, uh, shooting with my phone, which I, I would never, uh, I, I would never uh, consider taking a, a picture and publishing something that I shot on my on my phone because that's not photography at least in my perception mm-hmm. and uh, and and yeah i think that like the, the the looks of the camera means a lot and 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 that connects with something that probably it's part of a lot of your conversations in the podcast in this podcast on how important the camera is and i think it's whoever tells you that the camera is not important is lying it's it's a complete lie in my opinion mm-hmm. Because the camera, the the camera is like a like uh, like your partner in crime. Your camera is is uh, the fifty percent of what you're doing out there, and you need to feel that drive from that partner. It's like having a business partner. If you don't have a business part, a business partner that uh, trusts your process, that pushes you forward. Uh, you will never get to a successful uh, to a su- uh, successful outcome. So it's the same with the camera. If you don't have a camera that you love taking in your hand, that you feel that that you love how it feels, that you love how the shutter sounds, that you see the results and you feel goosebumps. Yeah. I mean, what's the what's the uh, the point of that? I mean. Uh, yeah, and, and, and in my opinion, yeah, whoever says that the, the camera is not important is lying in that matter. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and, and, and that's why what I love from a, a Leica, a Leica camera, uh, the, the way it, it feels, the way it sounds, the weight of it, uh, and the, the, the final outcome, the quality of the of the lenses of the objectives, how the objectives feel, how the different objectives draw all of the possibilities you have, at least on an M camera. 
and and then how you can respond to to the, the weather for instance right now it's pretty sunny out there mm-hmm. so if i go out to take pictures today i, I might take my uh, summer on 28 millimeters uh, 5.6 uh, and then just enjoy the experience of that very small and compact lens in my m camera and and that's a, uh, that, that's experience in, in its in itself uh, uh, versus versus that electronic uh, experience without that uh, beauty of the object and the the, the, all, all of what it implies to, to shoot a, a camera, yeah, a real camera. So I, I do agree with a lot of that. I think I'll, I'll try to hit a, a counter argument, not to completely disagree with you, but I think what most people are saying that the camera doesn't matter is more specifically geared around like sensor technology. So like, for example, if I have... Uh, like a M film camera, right? The the image is going to be created on film. But if I have a, like a digital camera, it's going to be created on digital. Now, the part I think where they're saying it doesn't matter is just to kind of disregard the sensor and the film. And more of, if I hold... An M10, I can make the same image with my MP. I think that's kind of what they're referencing. Yeah. So uh, I just probably just counter add on to what you said. So I don't, I don't, I can't speak for others, but I think that's for me. I would speak for myself and say it's more of just like the the built-in technology where I know if I grab my film, like I'm gonna be able to create a almost identical image that I would if I was with a digital. Yeah, and, and I get that part, and, and I agree. I agree with that, and uh, I agree because I think that um, in, uh, at, at least, and, and I, I don't want to get like in a gear conversation here, <laughs> uh, but uh, I think that what makes Leica special is not the camera itself, mm-hmm. but it's the lenses, which are out of any league. I mean, there's nothing better other than Hasselblad, probably, in terms of uh, uh, optical optical quality. And the rangefinder, the rangefinder, it will uh, probably all all of the people who is listening to this podcast have have used a range a rangefinder before. But you might agree that using a rangefinder versus using a regular viewfinder or in a reflex camera mm-hmm. uh, and the fact of still being aware of what what's around you in in reality versus what the lens is is capable to render that gives you uh, an advantage despite it's being it's more challenging because you need to imagine how the final outcome is going to be yeah it gives you this advantage of always being aware of what's around you. So that's what, what I, if you'd ask me what I love about having a, a, a Leica is that rangefinder uh, experience is to, 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 to shoot with my, with two eyes open and to be aware of what's happening around uh, all the time. And, and the, the, I, I have a, a very 
large collection of uh, of uh, lenses, and I I can tell for sure with that nothing draws like like a glass. Mm-hmm. That's that's what I like about uh, about like a mostly more than the cameras it, itself. It's the rangefinder and the and the and the glass. I would definitely say I do love shooting a rangefinder. The experience for me is more enjoyable. And I think it's going kind of to what you alluded to with regards to you don't really know what the image is going to be, especially on film with the rangefinder. All I know is whatever is in my 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 frame lines, whatever lens I'm using, whatever is in those frame lines, I have to know, I have to be confident in my ability as a photographer that my settings and and my experience shooting that rangefinder I'm going to get the image that I want and not like through the SLR which I've shot with before and I still have a Pentax 67 which is nope now I lie cuz I've been recently collecting old vintage cameras again I don't use them but I just collect them and I and I got a few more uh, mirrored cameras, but the experience is is not the same. Like I, I can see, okay, this is in my composition, but with the rangefinder, like you said, like okay, I have to make sure. And there's also parallax, so whatever I see, there might be something in front of the lens that I don't see in the viewfinder. So you got to keep that in mind as well. Yeah, yeah, and and that that's part of what I what I love. The experience with uh, shooting with the rangefinder, and yet I must to say that I love I love the the Leica cameras, mm. but I hate the Leica brand. <laughs> <laughs> I, I really hate the Leica as a brand, uh, and and I I when I for whatever reason I need to go to a Leica store mm. to service my cameras or my lenses or whatever. I hate that experience of a luxury brand versus a photography brand, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, that that's that's for me very uh, that that's a big downside of um, using a using a camera. And uh, I used to be part of some um, Leica photographers groups in Facebook and whatever, and it's. Uh, uh, it's not very exciting to see that most of the people you find there is not really talking about photography, mm-hmm. but how much money they have and, and, and how, yeah, how large they, their, their collection is mm-hmm. and, and how beautiful their flower pictures are. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, that's, uh, that, that's, uh, that's a, a con of uh, a Leica that actually like the, the brand itself, they, they're aware that they're more a luxury brand than a photography mm-hmm. uh, brand. And, and, and uh, I don't know if uh, I'm, I'm Mexican. So if you see the, the Leica Mexican account, all of what they publish in, in stories, for instance, it's more, it's more related with lifestyle. You see this uh, guy wearing a suit and then carrying proudly this like uh, in, instead of like actual photographic work. Mm-hmm. So that's a big outside of of, of like in my in my opinion. So that that whole topic is 
is really interesting. And I had this conversation before. I think it's more of their marketing. And now they're trying to market to everybody as opposed to how I felt. This is just my, and this is just my experience or not experience. My, my opinion at this point is I would say roughly about eight years ago, I'll be comfortable where people, people always know the name Leica. If you're a photographer, you know Leica, right? But there's been such a, a boom, a Leica boom, an increase you know, all of the influencers on YouTube, oh, if you want to be a street photographer, you got to shoot with the Leica. So what the Leica start doing, they started using that to their advantage. And then they started marketing and making other cameras. So now they got the Q line, they got SL line, and they've made SLR styled cameras before going back to their R back way back in the days. So they had those, they, they had the SLs, the CLs and, and all of that. So they did have different models but i think now they're trying to reach out to like a whole vast variety where in the past only like certain top tier individuals would shoot with leica is before i call it like the the youtube leica boom before that happened i've never seen anybody in the street using a leica i i can recall the first time i saw a leica like and I even touched one. So before then, I just never seen it. It was always like a Canon, majority Canon, and Fujifilm, a Nikon, a Sony. And then when Leica as a brand became more popular, like now everybody wants to shoot. Like I, I will travel to like small little alley down in Naha, and I'll see people walking around with Qs and NSLs. I don't see many M's though. Now, if you ask me mm-hmm. or, and any Leica specialist, like what makes Leica Leica as a camera model, it's always the M, right? I, I never yeah. see and people with M's. I think that's because of the most people tend to think that not having autofocus is a disadvantage, mm-hmm. and and that that's something. I mean. Something something I, I really don't like about having labels. I've been repeating like I don't consider myself a street photographer. It's because whoever uses that those labels tend to be very dogmatic. They tend to follow certain rules. Or now what you do is a street photography because of that, or you it's not a street photography because of X, Y, or Z, and uh, and 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 the same. Thing tends to happen a, a lot of things in, in the technical side, and um, I, I really don't like these dogmas. But something I, I don't really get, and, and it's probably because I'm very old school and I've learned in the very old-fashioned way, is on how people rely so much on the autofocus when having full control of your camera is the best, the best thing you can do, yeah. and the fastest thing you can. I mean, so, any there's no not any camera at the moment that is smarter than a human being with two months of experience taking pictures <laughs> and, uh, and, and people tend to, to think on, um, on, on DMs since they're like other than the sensor fully mechanical cameras, mm-hmm. uh, they, they tend to, to think on, um, on, on them as old technology. My first Leica was a 240 back in 
I can remember probably 2015, something like that. And and I remember talking to a friend uh, about that camera and, 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 and I have this word recorded in my mind that he said that a, a Leica is like a, a toy for aficionado. So that's where I started learning on how even photographers perceive this brand uh, like a toy brand or as a luxury brand or just a, and, and, and collectors of Leicas itself in, in these groups that I'm recalling, they compare uh, their cameras as the Porsches they have or the Rolexes and yeah. those things. Exactly. So, yeah. So, no, I, I agree with, with a lot of that and couldn't say it any better, but I like, I've seen a lot of people try to use a full mechanical camera and they'll buy it and they can't, they just can't do it because they're so used to autofocus. So then they'll sell it and they'll come up with like a random reason. And I challenge anybody. And I even tell this to all the people who continue to use autofocus and like my friends, they'll use autofocus and I'm manual focus all the way. My zone focus is a hundred percent faster than any autofocus on the market. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, no, no camera is going to be at least in the next, and even with all of this artificial intelligence coming, whatever in the next 20 years, no camera is going to be faster than the human eye. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I, I actually feel like really comfortable, uh, uncomfortable relying on, on autofocus because, uh, or probably it's, it's that I don't know how to, how to use it. Yeah. But, uh, how do you know if you let the camera decide for you what's your actual intention. And worse than that, if, if you rely on full automatic settings for taking the camera mm-hmm. uh, to uh, for taking your picture, how the camera is going to know that your intention was going to take your step, I don't know, a soft tool, a soft tool stroke of light uh, back there or, or to focus uh, an object or a person instead of uh, another one and uh yeah so i i i I honestly don't get the people that relies on full automatic uh, functions for their cameras and i I think that's a lot of having a camera in your phone yeah uh, (laughs) but people is used to take pictures with the screen and uh, yeah let let the the device do all the work for you a lack of training i think it took me a little while to get used to manual focus because I transitioned from a camera that had like all of that technology with the fastest autofocus ever created at that time. And then I went to full manual. It was a, a little bit of a setback, but I felt that that was where I needed to go. That was my time to improve myself as a photographer and i and i i enjoy i enjoy the process a lot more yeah actually having those uh let's say limitations Mm -hmm. make you get better images that pushes you to actually have full control of of what you want to 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 do i mean I, i one of my favorite photographies of my own is this uh, photo of a 
girl smoking a cigarette like behind a wall and all we see is just a set of shadows and, and very subtle lights that make the lines of her uh, her body and the smoke. Mm-hmm. A, a fully automatic uh, camera would have made up a very bright image and, and never never got that the, the intention of that the image that I, that I got uh, in, in that in that particular uh, picture so I think that people that gives these creative decisions to the, the uh, electronic part of their devices is missing a lot of this uh, plastical plastic part of the creation or the visual creation pro- uh, process of photography yeah definitely so I do got some questions that I want to revisit because we got so <laughs> caught up on a side tangent that started from your music. Great conversation this far, but really quick before I get into those questions, I do want to get your social media accounts, websites. I want to get that information before I start talking about your photography processes. Uh, yeah, sure. My You can find me mostly in Instagram. Uh, my Instagram is Raul Islas Photo. It's uh, R-A-U-L-Y-S-L-A-S-L-A-S, Raul Islas, with a Y instead of an I, photo. And um, I'd invite you to follow me in a, in another project I'm uh, starting, which is called Pictoric. Pictoric is a photography publication where we, the, the intention is where we want to open spaces for uh, mostly for emerging talent. Uh, and, and it's like uh, starting this battle against not photography <laughs> and against artificial intelligence and, and uh, just having this repository of uh, sensitive images of real artists in photography. Uh, so we will do very interesting things in, in, in pictoric as well. Pictoric is written as, as you hear it, pictoric, but with a Q, U, E in the end, instead of a C, pictoric. It's actually pictoric uh, in French. <laughs> and uh, yeah, right, so. it's, a, it's a publication for photography based here in Paris, France. Nice, nice. So I... I st- I do still owe you the information and the photo that you asked for. I didn't forget. I just haven't got around to getting the high-res uh, version for you, and I'll get the Yeah, yeah, that I really love that, 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 that series that I asked you to, if we can publish. Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, I, I use this opportunity to say that I really admire you as a photographer. Oh, I, you, you make a, a, great, uh, a great work, and, and those things that you have... In publishing, especially from your work in Japan, it's uh, very, very interesting. So we, we will be thrilled to, to publish that in, in Victoria. Thank you. I do appreciate that. And of all the people I've spoken to, I believe you're the first who's ever at or said that they admire me as a photographer. So thank you. I am giving you some applause. I do appreciate that sincerely. So... 
I will get you that. I will also include all of the links that he's mentioned in the show notes so people just have quick access and click on it and they'll be transferred over to all of that. But let's support him and all of his projects that he's working on there. And now I want to get into more of the street photography making process. So you mentioned earlier that you started Mm. shooting photography at a young age. So when you first started, what kind of photos were you making? And then when did you transition into a street photography? Um, that That's uh, exciting to, to talk about because photography has actually been part of most of my life. Uh, the, the first time I, I had like my own camera was a gift from my mother when I was 10 years old, something like that. And and then I started, well, it was a, a Kodak point and, and shoot that I still have here. <laughs> and it's very, uh, it, that means a lot for me, to, to me to ha- still have that camera. And uh, and, and I remember that uh, sometimes my mother was like uh, really angry against me because I, I, I always was asking for more films to take more pictures. And, uh, and, and after that, I transitioned to a... Uh, uh, to an icon film camera that again I, I still have here around and, uh, and and photography has been part of let's say most of my conscious life and um, after uh, in my professional life when I started my professional life period when I started working first as a graphic designer then as a creative then as an art director and then as a creative director and I started taking photography as part of my skill sets in my job. So I made uh, commercial photography for very, very big brands. I made uh, product photography like stage, the studio photography for uh, advertising in back in Mexico City. Uh, then for uh, a, a few occasions, I made uh, also uh, film photography. Uh, like a uh, motion photography for for motion motion uh, films in advertising mostly and in a couple uh, productions and short films and uh, for also for a long period I I was like mostly specialized in uh, portrait in portrait uh, photography uh, for a long time in in studio and. And, and I started as a street photographer. And, and again, I don't really like the label of a street photographer, mm-hmm. but that was pretty recently uh, when I moved to, to Paris. I moved to Paris back in January 2021. And, um, and, and I, coming from Mexico, the cultural differences with Mexico versus France was a, a really hard uh, struggle. Uh, it was uh, it, it was uh, difficult because if if anyone listening has been in Mexico City and in Paris, you might understand how the people in Mexico City is versus how the people in in Paris. 
Yeah, so in, in Mexico City, I mean, you can become friends with the the vendor in the corner selling quesadillas. <laughs> and uh, people, it tends to be super accessible and friendly. And in Paris, well, they're Parisians. <laughs> I know. I get and, Yeah. So, so, yeah, like a Mexican transplanted from Mexico City, which is the, the friendliest city in the world where everyone is friends with everyone, where everyone feels welcome to come to, to Paris, where you're mostly, for your accent, seen as a, a foreigner, seen as a tourist. Mm -hmm. uh, that, that, that was a, a, a pretty difficult, a pretty difficult struggle. And actually what I say that photography saved me in that matter, because I, what I did like to start trying to understand my new city, my adoptive city better was to go out with my camera and take pictures. And then in the silence of the digital dark room, let's say Lightroom, mm -hmm. uh, developing those images and trying to understand whatever happens and the people around me better is actually making me transition from hating Paris to loving it and yep. to always want to go outside. And, and today I want to, uh, I want to go every day outside with my camera and take pictures. And, and whenever I don't do it, I feel bad for that. So yeah, photography has helped me a lot in, in that, in that, in that matter. So that's, um, uh, a little bit of my photographical journey. I, it started as a gift from my mother and now it's a survival strategy uh, of a Mexican trying to survive in the Parisian, the Parisian culture. Yeah. So I've been to Paris once, so I, I instantly knew what you were referring to, which is kind of weird. I don't know. French people are very proud to be French from my experience with them. And they are less inclined to communicate with you if you are not French or do not speak French, which I felt was kind of ironic because there was such a large population of foreigners in the city. I don't know. I can't speak for everybody there and I don't want to give the wrong impression, but this was just my experience for four days in there. Like I went to a McDonald's and they kind of didn't even want to sell me chicken nuggets. So I have a ongoing tradition that every new country I visit, I have to try McDonald's chicken nuggets. So it was my first time in Paris. I had to carry on the tradition and there that's, that's that. And people now know what I do for chicken nuggets in every country. Yeah. And, and I think in, 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 in a way it's understandable because Paris is the most visited city in the world. So that, that's something that now that I'm a local in Paris, I'm starting to suffer. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I don't know, let's say that you're in a hurry going to, 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 to your office, which is something that happens to me every day. And, and then you have a, a, a very relaxed uh, tourist in front of you blocking your way. I mean, you get mad about it. So uh, the, the amount of tourists we have here is, is uh, actually it's too much. And uh, it's, uh, under, it, it's easy to understand why locals tend to hate all of those foreigners visiting 
us. Well, now that I'm a Parisian, I can say us. <laughs> yeah, it's the city life. I'm I'm like that too sometimes where whenever I visit Tokyo, like I don't really consider myself a tourist, more kind of like a transplant like you as well, since I've lived in Japan so long and I'll be here longer. But like I know I'm from Chicago, so it's a big city, large Mexican population, large lots of people population. So I know what it's like that I need to get to this place right now and somebody's blocking me so it's very annoying at some time at some point you know like all right you're blocking me from getting to where i need to go 30 seconds faster if you were just 10 steps to the left or to the right we would not have a problem but yeah i get it i think it's just big city mentality Yeah, 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 and and, and actually, uh, before living in Mexico City, that that's something that started happening uh, to me as well. Because Mexico City right now, it's uh, for I don't know for whatever reason, the the most hyped city out there, especially for Americans. Mm-hmm. And uh, I used to live in in Roma Condesa, which is like a very very uh, touristic. Part and 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 in in just a two three years we we transitioned from being a very calm neighborhood to a hyper uh, touristy full of Americans no Spanish one hundred percent English neighborhood <laughs> so so yeah from the local perspective in any city whenever tourism gets mm-hmm. too much yeah it's easier to understand why. But other than that, in, in Paris, there's like this cultural, this cultural, uh, 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 well, just cultural way of being that, well, it's the north of France and people tend to be colder than in the south, for instance, like, uh, like in any, any European country, the, the north is always it's always colder. It's less Latin, let's say. <laughs> Probably because it's actually, it is colder. It's a little colder. And I was in Paris in October. Yeah, I remember. Mm-hmm. I was actually visiting Germany. And then we just went on a little short vacation to Paris during my time in Germany. Either way. But I got there and it was so cold. I remember waiting an hour to see the Eiffel Tower light up. You know, it lights up like every hour, four minutes past. And it, yeah. only, it only lasts for so long. Funny thing was, I actually, <laughs> when I got to the Eiffel Tower, it was like midnight. And we saw the sparkly lights flashing, trying to find the parking spot. But I didn't want sparkling lights Eiffel Tower from a car. I wanted the sparkly lights Eiffel Tower pictures from standing under it. So found the parking spot, got there probably about 45 minutes. All right, we have to wait. And we waited. It was so cold. I probably had minor frostbite. And finally the lights went off. And it was actually the last one for the evening and I was really glad 
because it was so cold. I didn't want to relive that again the following night. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a great example because actually I can see that the sparkling and and in the top in the top of the tower there's this rolling light which is really really hard. Mm-hmm. It's uh, I mean you can see it from anywhere in the city, uh, but it it makes in in the darkest night it makes the 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 sky uh, uh, really bright, and uh, that that's a great example of leaving it as a tourist versus leaving it as a local. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's mostly made for a, for a touristic attraction. The Eiffel Tower is a touristic attraction. So uh, probably if, if you're a tourist and you come to see that the sparkly lights um, and, and that rolling light on the top, which is really, really hard, and you see it just one time in your life, what you say, that's, that's great, that's really romantic, that's beautiful. But if you live here, like in my case, mm-hmm. I really hate that light every night. <laughs> I oh have God. no idea of how to see that from my window every night and, and, and to uh, have the need of uh, closing my, my uh, curtains every every night because that light is like really, really annoying. <laughs> and you can see it from every uh, point uh, in, in the city. So, yeah. Yeah, nice. That, that's a great example of that differences of uh, being a, uh, a, a tourist in Paris versus living yeah. living in Paris. I'm guilty as charred. So you mentioned Mexico City. Are you familiar with a photographer, Harvey Castro? He shoots out there quite often. Maybe you may have bumped into him. No, no, I'm not familiar with him. Okay. I have to link you two up. But I would, I would look for him. Um, and it's, a, it, it's funny because, as I was telling you, well, I'm originally from Mexico and I've been making photography for most of my life. But as a street photographer, I just started when I moved to France. And uh, I was normally very shy to take pictures of people I don't know. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was here in, in, in Paris when I, when I said, like, okay, let's try. And... Uh, I, I I started taking pictures just for the sake of taking pictures of, and, and, and it was mostly for not having a subject to shoot, as I used to have in Mexico for commercial purposes. Uh, and, and, and it's funny how I really want to, to, to go out in the streets of, of Mexico City to make street photography. Because it's a very, let's say, big, pictorial country uh, and, and city. Mm-hmm. It, it would be really, really easy to find great pictures in Mexico City. And you can see it in in the cases of many photographers. I mean, Bruce Gilden was recently making pictures in Mexico City uh, like a couple of months ago. Um, uh, Alex Webb, he has a, a, a extensive body of work made in Mexico City and Oaxaca. And I mean, Cartier-Bresson, he yeah. found He's got a he found himself as a photographer on, under the wing of one of my favorite photographers, Manuel Alvarez Bravo, who, who is a, a, a Mexican photographer that actually adopted Cartier-Bresson. And uh, he helped him to find his first job in Mexico City as a photojournalist for a 
for a, a newspaper down there, and and, and there's where where he, uh, I mean, the the father and founder of the street photography and documentary photographer, mm-hmm. found himself as a as a photographer. So uh, yeah, Mexico City is like a great way to 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 try look in in non-staged photographer or real life photography. Yeah. yeah. There is a lot of great projects from really well-known, well-established masters of photography. I call those like the ones everybody knows. Like there's a lot of good projects. And oh, it's I can't think of who it took who took the photo. Uh, but it's a color photo, the man leading the horse, very famous. Uh, man leading a horse? He's he's walking with a horse on a ranch. Oh, who took it? Probably everybody's going to send me hate mail. I should know this. I'm going to look it up. I can't recall that. Nope, no worries. Uh, you'll, you'll probably know the picture when I show you. But really quick. Yeah. Because uh, just a few more questions before we start wrapping it up, but you've mentioned your. I want to get into this before your your photo projects is. You mentioned AI. I would like to know how you feel and what you think your opinion of AI generated photography. Yeah. Well, that that's that's a very interesting conversation in many in many ways because again, I'm I'm pretty much against dogmas in photography, uh, but I also believe that there should be limits on what can be acceptable and what don't. For instance, for me, it's unacceptable to use autofocus. <laughs> But for most photographers, that doesn't matter. And that's still a picture even when that was the camera focusing that picture, that scene. And and that that's not like a, a, a topic uh, that, that might affect the result of an award, for instance. Uh, did you use the autofocus? Okay, we will not give you this award. <laughs> but in the other side, it's like, uh, for instance, in the WordPress photo, there have been cases where uh, the photographer uh, well cleared a certain element of the picture, and then the the the, the received award was ultimately uh, taken away. So I think we're the the debate with AI is going to be similar in in those matters. Like today, autofocus is not a thing but probably it was in the early days of autofocus. Uh, today, still Photoshop is a thing, but not that much as it was a, a few years ago. I mean, you can Photoshop a, a few things. It's, it's pretty known, for instance, Steve McCory. He has a, a pretty heavy hand in Photoshop in his pictures, and yet he is re, re, uh, he's a very renowned uh, photographer, and he... And no one questions his uh, framework. Uh, but when when you see the original pictures, 
he took versus the, the picture he's publishing. Mm-hmm. Well, that that's almost to the advertising uh, edition level. So that's a lot of uh, of edition. But but he's a Steve McCurry, so now he normalized that. And in terms of the artificial intelligence, I think it's going to be uh, a similar debate because. I have tried those tools, and it's actually it's actually great. I mean, it's equivalent to something you would do in Photoshop. Yeah. It, uh, instead of taking the instead of taking the tools and doing yourself to, let's say there's a someone walking in the background, and you don't really want that person because it's breaking your composition. And in Photoshop, you can just take that away. The difference is that instead of Doing it at hand, you just need to to ask Photoshop to delete this person, and that's it. You will have the the final the final version. And I don't have anything <clears throat> against it, um, but but yet where where I have my issues is when when there's a one hundred percent generated image that. It's not part of reality. It's not like something someone went out with a camera and took the time to and, and took the time to uh, to take that picture. That's for that for me is not photography anymore. Uh, but if it's just for matters of edition, I, I don't have any. Actually, I don't have any issue. I don't have any issue with with that because it's just a, another tool. I mean, in the early days, we already used to do that to manipulate the film directly or there there are tools where we could increase or decrease the 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 contrast in pictures i mean this this very famous pictures picture of uh, the soviet soldier taking berlin mm-hmm. it's photoshop it's like one of the earliest examples of photoshop of these uh, soviet soldiers that used to uh, scavenge the the watches of the dead people, of the German people in Berlin, and there were many Soviet soldiers that were wearing uh, five watches at the same time, and one of the the, the soldiers that is holding that uh, uh, the, the Soviet Union flag was originally wearing like five five watches in, in his hand, and it was manipulated even way before the the Photoshop era. So those are just tools that we have at hand, but there's this balance between having a real story versus staging everything or versus faking the whole story. So whenever it's not a prompt from origin, I think I I don't have anything against using AI to edit pictures. Yeah. So I tested the... Photoshop AI fill tool just to see where technology is at currently. Now, I didn't create a photo from scratch, like you said, but I just wanted to see how available and how good this technology is. So I took a few samples of some photos that I took and I cut like a certain part of the image and I deleted around it. And then I filled it and I asked it to 
fill it with whatever it was. So one was a flower and it had, I just said, oh, fill the background with the rest of the trees. And it did. It did a really good job with the nature. Now, I tested it with the photo I took in the street. Um, one was a full image in focus and one was one where I do my motion blur. And what I will say is it's not there yet. The people look like potatoes. So if you people are yeah. using AI, you're going to know. Now, I'm not saying all of the images will look like that. If you start from scratch, I believe maybe the technology is good enough to create non-potato looking people. But yeah, mm-hmm. for what I what I was testing out, it was potato looking people. It was really weird. It was it was very obvious. It was generated. Now that kind of contradicts yeah. my it con- contradicts me. I said a long time ago that I would never use AI for photography, and I didn't want my name associated with that. And I don't. So it was just more of a social experiment. I did it that one time just to see where we were at. But I do not see myself for the foreseeable future ever having to use Photoshop to create my own images. I'm very well aware that I can make an image walking in the street with my camera. Yeah, the, the thing with, with AI and the quality is a matter of the quality of the prompt. Mm-hmm. Uh, depending on how skillful you are on writing those instructions for the AI is is equal to the result you will get and uh, and, and and that's a, that's a matter with uh, with artificial intelligence and the, the, the thing is that there are people who is like who gets really really uh, good at creating prompts mm-hmm. and that can deceive any any anyone on that creation being a picture. And there's this very famous, uh, and that was this year, one one of the category winners for the Sony uh, Photography Awards mm-hmm. was an AI-generated image. And then the, this photographer, well, photographer or prompt creator received the award, and then he published in his own social media uh, this uh, message saying that this is an AI generated mm-hmm. image and I just wanted to create conscious on how advanced this technology is and I, re- I refuse this award and, and this is all a campaign to in case I want to create conscious on on this topic and you see that picture and well, now that they told you that this is a generated, a prompt-generated picture, you can tell. But if no one tells you, you can't. You you wouldn't notice. Yeah. And no, you can. And and imagine that in ten years. Mm-hmm. So. Oh, not even that long. For, Technology goes so fast. Probably about a couple months yeah. from now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and and where photography stands versus that. Mm-hmm. So. I think that that's a good thing and a bad thing at the same time because that's at, at the same time, despite uh, well of all of this competition it's it's creating, it's also adding this um, 
uh, special aura to photography. Mm-hmm. Like a photography will get this extra value of, well, that was a human being taking this picture. <laughs> so that, that will add this extra, extra thing to, to photography as an art form, especially for creative, creative photography and, and, and especially for yeah, some certain types of street photography, which are worth mentioning. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah. And, and, and again, I have my issues with, with the term of the street photography, because it can mean anything for different people. It can mean different things for, for, for many people. And street, street photography can range from something which looks more like a cardboard or like a, a, a yeah, like a card game of, oh, I have this. Uh, three people wearing red and I have the oh three people with glasses and uh, texture and three people with glasses and whatever and, and it's just this game of collecting images which are more a result of luck mm-hmm. than, than an actual skill and that tells no story versus pictures which are uh, beautiful which are aesthetically magnificent and that tell more than 10,000 words with a single image. So it ranges in a very, in a very, uh, in a very, uh, well, wide variety of interpretations. And, and, and yeah, uh, those results that you get either by luck or by product of, or by product of uh, your own compositional skills can be challenged by artificial intelligence. So that's, uh, that, that's going to get really interesting because you can ask this technology to create whatever, whatever you want. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I've had this conversation about AI. It's always different, but I like to ask now since it was brought to my attention and I was curious and someone mentioned something and I felt really I agreed that no matter where we're at with technology like the AI from a computer will not necessarily and who knows maybe it might I don't know I I don't I can't see that far into the future but you know there's always going to be a need for someone that can do something the AI can't so like a wedding photographer are you hiring Photoshop to do your wedding photos? Probably not. They probably could do it, but who knows? You know, so stuff like that. There's always going to be a need for a human, non-AI photographer service, photography service, something along those lines. Yeah. No, no, exactly. I, I, uh, One one of the the better uses and, and many of my different of my favorite pictures I have, and those are pictures that, that I will never publish, mm-hmm. are pictures I take uh, from from my from my newborn son and my wife. Many of my favorite pictures and probably my favorite picture I have ever taken is a a, a picture I have from a portrait I have from my wife in a trip we made to Greece. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
that's something that you can just ask an AI to 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 write because I mean this is happening in a very special moment with a, a very special person that you see in a certain way and that you have the trust to 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 take that particular picture uh, and, and and there are many things in play that no 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 technology would ever have the sensitivity to replicate and and that that's not going to happen in ten or in a ten thousand years from now yeah. and the, the the human sensitivity that human uh, way to to interpret our own experience the way we interpret the, the reality. It's never going to be replaced by any technology. Yeah, it, it can. The quality can get better. We can get a ten thousand megapixel camera, but uh, that human way to to interpret reality is not something that can be artificially recreated. Yeah, in my opinion, the M twenty R. So 20 generations of digital M's <laughs> with the R size sensor <laughs> in black paint. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And to turn it out there. All right. So yeah. I I am very interested to learn more about your pictoric project that you are starting. Is it like very new or why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. We're, I'm more than a photographer. I'm a businessman. That's why I why I afford my cameras, <laughs> my collection of gear, and my Hasselblad and my <laughs> my whatever number of Leicas I have. And uh, and 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 I I like to live from things that I love to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I don't like to to dedicate my time to things that I boring to, that are boring to me. So. Uh, as as uh, well, you might have noticed, I'm pretty passionate about photography. Mm-hmm. I might not be the best photographer out there, but I'm pretty passionate about it, and it's been a very important part of my life throughout the years. And I want to make this project that, more than anything, helps other people with the struggle I know being a photographer is, and especially being a photographer is, is something that it's, it's really hard because it's a, it's very expensive to be a photographer. It doesn't pay well to be a photographer, honestly, unless you are at the top levels. I mean, there's no way you can get like super rich being a, being a photographer or unless you are a super famous TikTok photographer and, and I'm doing this thing with my fingers of coach photographer. Um, th- there's no way like to make a, a, a decent life about, about uh, photography. And, and I want to create this space to especially emerging talent. And now in, in these very critical times where AI, as we just discussed, is really going to challenge what photography is. I want to create this space to to uh, showcase the work that is worth of 
photographers with this very sensitive vision of the world as that work on on, on Japan that I asked you to, to publish uh, that is very unique of, of every personal experience of a human being and and Victoric is that publication well based here in, in Paris, France that we will start originally as a as a digital publication where every month we will change the content as if as if it's a online as, as as if it's a printed magazine but online every month you will find a different set of uh, notes about different photographers uh, different uh, galleries about certain photography uh, photography photographical work uh, and and it's an open space for also for experimentation, we might find some work of uh, AI-generated versus photographic studio-generated work, and, and and just to try to break through those dogmas and to find that balance of what photography is, uh, but defending photography as at its uh, main uh, essence. So, yeah, we will soon be launching, I think by December, our first uh, international open call uh, contest um, to, to, to especially for creative photography. And then after that, we will continue with the street photography contest that will be very interesting because we will try to um, showcase work from street photographers that actually are like challenging the very foundations of uh, the old definitions of street photography. Uh, for us, street photography is more, or, or photography in general is more of this balance about the story and and the and, and and the image and photography visually speaking is what appears in the, the in the frame from like in the hundred percent of the frame and not necessarily a subject and and for me I think one of the worst parts of street photography and, and what I I don't really like about that concept. Is, is like, uh, well, the, the name street photography is that something that needs to happen in a street, in an urban area. Mm-hmm. And, and second, it's very heavily, uh, it very heavily leans into a subject and not necessarily into, into the full image. And, and that misleads many people to think that street photography is that, that example that I was recalling on having three guys uh, dressing the same color or three objects uh, with the same shape and, and those uh, very lame, in my opinion, jokes mm-hmm. of, uh, of uh, yeah, visually, visual coincidences that actually say nothing. And it's more like a child game than an art project. And yeah, so so our interpretation of street photographer will be exactly challenging that and trying to find a, a better definition and rewarding that those that challenge that 
the old school definition of street photography. Yeah. So that's that's really cool. That's interesting. And that goes into kind of the topic of what I had mentioned earlier is now we can do it ourselves and we don't have to wait. And that's really, I don't know the word I want to use here, but it's really good that you are including the emerging photographers, like you said. And I like the word emerging. And I'm really big on that because if my listeners recall, I had this kind of like a grudge with the Leica Historical Society, which they changed their name, so that's not them anymore. But they had a contest for emerging photographers. And the person who won an emergency emerging photographer was a very... It was like the most <laughs> professional photographer you know, like ever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it was yeah. very misleading and unfortunate. Now, again, I'm not upset that she won. I just am upset at the terms that they used, emerging, right? So great photographer, not taking anything away from her accolades, her skill, her project, whatever it may be. But yeah. I think it was just a, hey, you're an emerging photographer. You have a chance to win. You did not have a chance to win. Yeah. Actually, that, that's one of the things I hate about Leica, the Leica Photography International. No, a, yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead. It, yeah. It's a, it's a marketing tool more than a, more than a photography serious publication. If, if you notice, and, and, and actually it's very, very, very funny that, uh, well, it I, I haven't published a lot of things there, mm-hmm. but most of the things I started publishing, I actually gave up because, um, because I was not like taken for any master shots or for uh, uh, selections in street photography or whatever. And, and recently, you know that they released the Q3. Uh, which I bought. Mm-hmm. Then I, I, the first session I had of Q3 of my Q3, uh, I published in, in in that in that publication a set of images. And one day before, boom, master That's shot. <laughs> because it was shot with a Q3, Q3. which they wanted. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. It's a, that, that's one of the things that in, in Pictorial we want to fight against. Mm-hmm. That most of the most of the the uh, photography publications are well promotional related things, yeah, and uh, not necessarily photography uh, skills and and art related things. So in in, in Pictorial we want to be very objective on really pushing on the art of photography as an art form as a aesthetic expression as a way, as a means to create and, and, and as a interpretation of individual interpretation of the world of every artist and not necessarily as a, a sponsored or a, a marketing related publication as, as most of the, obviously brands, every brand has their own magazine, yeah. the Hasselblad has their Hasselblad masters and, uh, like uh, the the 
uh, LFI and Sony has their own international contest and whatever. And, and the only intention of them and even Lens Culture and, and every other big publications, obviously they have sponsors and obviously they will push commercial agendas. And, and that's, that's what I want to do in Pictoric, something that I'm doing for the love of art and for the passion I have for photography and, and understanding the struggle and not necessarily tied to this uh, commercial contracts or the sponsorships or whatever. Uh, so it's not really a... Uh, I, I'm not going to say that we're not going to get a, a recovery fee mm-hmm. uh, because we need to do it something. Yeah. <laughs> and we can't just throw money out there. But the intention is not to 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 to, to make money, but to actually the the, late, the ultimate intention is to showcase the work uh, of photographers that are worth shown the, for for the, the their own their, their unique vision. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up LFI. So I found out that LFI, it, I believe, it does belong to like the whole global Leica brand, but it's like its own com- different service. So like they have their own little hierarchy or whatever. But I logged into it yesterday just to see what I had in there. And I realized my photos suck. And that's probably why I didn't have any master shots. But... <laughs> <laughs> you know, when I uploaded those at the time, I had, you know, everyone creates emotional connections to their photos. It's just natural. Like, for me, every photo I make is going to be the world's best photo. I know that not to be true, but emotionally, that's where I'm at. So I uploaded what I felt was like my strongest work. This is at the time. I don't remember what year I did. Probably around 2021. I don't remember. But... I only have one Leica master shot and I did it as a social experiment because I started to catch on to that branding and I shoot 100% of my shown work in black and white. So like anything that I'll post publicly is always going to be black and white unless it's like on an Instagram story, which I'll just share. Like if I shoot on color film or... If I use, I, I think you're a you're, you're a completely natural monochrome photographer. Yeah, I I I don't know why. Or I, well, I do know how why, but I I feel more comfortable, you know, black and white than color. Uh, but anyway, so I uploaded one color photo, and it's still on there only because I I got the master shot for it. But it's just a sunset. It's not n- nothing special about this photo. If you look at it, it's literally just a sun setting with a silhouette. But I believe they mm-hmm. they picked it because of the colors. And the colors are very natural. When I do my edits, I don't try to over-process. I try to keep it as close to how I seen it in real time. So I don't do like over-editing. It's all uh, pretty much minor adjustments in here and there. So, but yeah. yeah. Well, it, it's not too... It's not to the, the merit the the work of any photographer who who's got a master shot or whatever. But if you take a look to to the 
master shot selection, mm-hmm. and especially if you if you arrange it chronic uh, time time wise, you will see that. And, and and you can do it right now if you go to the to, to the LFI gallery and you see the latest uh, the, the latest master shots. You will find that most of those pictures were taken either with the Q3 or with the M11. Mm-hmm. And what they are looking for is not related with with the compositional skills or with uh, the sensitive of the photographer, but mm-hmm. something that for their interpretation of. Uh, of, of photography represents the what you can do with an M11 or what you can do with a Q3. Yeah, and um, yeah, so so th- there's and and that happens with any with many publications and sadly with most of the the biggest publications out there, mm-hmm. all of them have these uh, ties with uh, commercial interests. And, and yeah, that there's there's no really open spaces for real photography and for the essence of photography, no matter the the brand and no matter the the, the gear you're using, but the, what you saw and how you reinterpreted that that moment. Yeah. And um, yeah. So I know they just believe this is probably the last part of the LFI because I don't want to give them too much time. But I, I know they changed on how they select master shots now. So I believe before it just had to be taken on a Leica camera, but I believe now it has to be taken on a Leica camera with a Leica lens. So that kind of also, I don't want to say no one can afford Leica lenses, a lot of people out there, but there's a lot of Leica users who use third-party lenses, which is perfectly fine. I have a... Yeah couple of those myself but yeah I, I i don't want to mention any names but i have a contact that is an editor in the lfi so <laughs> what i'm saying it's it uh, comes from a, a true source and uh yeah the the just as a note yeah lfi was independent a few years ago mm-hmm. because it was originally created by leica and then sold away and then recovered by leica and right now it's a leica marketing tool and and it belongs to their like a marketing department yeah so the, the the full intention of the lfi shots just for all of you great photographers who who are disappointed of not getting a a master shot yet is it's because of that <laughs> <laughs> you just have to, to show the skills of a like and not necessarily your photographic yeah. skills <laughs> I learned that on early, 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 and it saved me so much time on I'm pressuring myself to edit a photo just to get a master shot. The trick is just don't contribute and you you can't get what you don't get. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Yeah, that, that's the thing with the LFI with the LFI magazine. Marketing's a powerful tool. Yeah. All right. Yeah, probably we will never get sponsored by Leica after this conversation. <laughs> probably. My shots of being sponsored by Leica probably ended years ago. When, well, yeah, I've been about two two years, but I had a lot of questions about that same exact thing. I love Leica as a camera brand, but that's pretty much where it stops for me because I don't, I can't afford to continuously buy 
the newest, latest, and greatest Leica camera that they release. So I'm happy with whatever Leica gear I got. But yeah, I'll be living in a small little car just to afford buying a new Leica every time. Yeah, no, no, no. No matter how bad the Leica brand experience is, there's no question that, yeah, Leica is, makes the best cameras out there other than Hasselblad. I must say that I love my Hasselblad more than any of my Leica. <laughs> <laughs> and just a disclaimer to the listeners, Hasselblad is not sponsoring this episode and Leica is also not sponsoring <laughs> this episode. I have no sponsors, if anyone's wondering. So, uh, anyway. Yeah, no. It, it's, a, it's a, and yeah, it's not a matter of brands, just user, user experience. Yeah. No worries. I'm sure a lot of other people shoot with other cameras other than what, what we have. But, um, mm. Let's go ahead and wrap this up because I, I have to start preparing for my, my work work. I'm sure you want to go shoot some photography, but um, now is a part of the podcast where I would like for you to recommend, highlight, recognize any up and coming magazine maker, photographer, street photographer, quesadilla maker, person in the city of Mexico making amazing tacos with cilantro and onions and a little bit of lime on top. Uh, Anybody, it could be anybody you would like to recognize. Anybody I would like to recognize? Uh, well, man, I, I would like to recognize you. Oh. <laughs> please, please go like and uh, please go and, and, and check Ricky Huerta work, who uh, more than a great uh, podcast host. He's a great photographer. I hope to have the honor to publish him and Pictoric soon. Uh, publications, well, go and check Pictoric. Uh, please make us your uh, your everyday photography publication. Go sign up to our newsletter and uh, quesadilla makers. I can recommend you <laughs> in the street of Jalapa, number two hundred sixty-six in Mexico City, in Roma Norte. Please go. You will find a quesadilla stand, which is the best in the world. If you ever happen to go <laughs> to to Mexico City, you will have the best quesadillas out there. Yeah. And uh, yeah, go go check my 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 work uh, in Raúl Islas photo. Raúl Islas with a Y instead of an I. And and yeah, that's it. Uh, we are here for the love of art and the love of uh, photography and, and thank you so much for uh, having me I'm, I'm really honored to be one of your guests yeah i appreciate it that's the first time i've ever been recognized by my own guest so thank you i'm cheering him on for i'm gonna give him an m3 shutter all right so the last question i always ask uh, i thank you once again i do appreciate it the last question I always ask uh, is, what does street photography mean to you? Mean, street photography means nothing for me. Okay. I mean, uh, labels, labels, I think, are more destructive than constructive. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the, the term of street photography for me is very problematic. I, I take... Uh, 
photographies in the street just because I don't have any subject to take pictures to. I mean, I, I can take pictures of my wife only all the time. <laughs> I can take pictures of my baby all the time. I can take pictures of friends and family. So I, I really, I love photography so much and make, taking pictures that I can help to have a camera with me all the time. And whenever, whenever or whatever I need to do, I always have a camera with me. And, and whenever something calls my attention visually, I need to take a picture. But that can happen in the street or that can happen in the, in the fields, that can happen inside a plane, that can happen uh, in an airport. It does not need to be necessarily in in a in an urban environment, and uh, the the thing of the term of uh, street photography for me is very problematic because it implies that it needs to be taken on a street in an urban area when it does not. Mm-hmm. I mean, the street photography is for me the criteria of a street photography should be that it should be on post. There's not a pose on that. That's not a staging on that. That that needs to be like a natural scene. And for me, a more accurate term would be like a real life photography, for instance. And, and, and we could think on a, a thousand ways to name it, but the, the term street, it's, it's what I don't like because for me, what what we understand of as street photography um, is very related with the urban environment when where it's not necessary. And another thing that I don't really like about the, the certain interpretations of street photography is that for many, street photography is this game of finding lame <laughs> visual uh, coincidences out there. For instance, uh, I, I mean, I, I I love, I really, really love, and he's one of my favorite uh, photographers, Jonathan Jasper, and, and we have published him in, in, in Pictoric. Um, he actually, a couple, yeah, it was like three years, four years, uh, sorry, sorry, days ago, Four days ago, he won the award of uh, single image street photography in street culture. And that was, and, and his picture is great. His picture is really good. He's a, it's a great composition. But what earned him the award is that there's this guy with a patch in the eye with the shape of an egg selling eggs. So there's this coincidence of a guy wearing a egg-shaped patch selling eggs. So that for me, at least, it's like super lame. That's, that tells nothing. And uh, the, the, if you see the, the serious winner of street culture, street photography, um, it's uh, someone that takes nice compositions that you can't deny that those are nice compositions of people walking in the streets, but there's nothing else than that. There's no story behind those pictures. There's nothing else you can tell other than, yeah, these pictures are nice and the light was nice, but, and, and those people were in this very attractive arrangement. 
but there's no nothing behind it. And for me, the the picture is fifty percent what you see, and fifty percent the story that you can tell from that picture. And and that's not something you can find in the winner of the series uh, of street photography, at least in street in, in street culture, which is the like the standard in terms of uh, publications internationally speaking. And that's not a, a it, that's not lens culture fault, but that that's more fault of the the jury and how street photography is understood mm-hmm. uh, among those conventions that we have around it, which I don't really like. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I even have, I, I've had like in, in my work, if you take a look to my work, it can be somehow interpreted as street photography because it happens in the streets, but I'm not looking for those coincidences. There's always, I mean, I have 100, 200, 400 pictures, which visually are better than the pictures I have published in, in, in my Instagram. But there's nothing I can tell about those pictures. There's not a special story I can tell about those pictures other than than they look nice. And that for me means nothing because there's the, the, the other half of that picture is missing. And, and street photography for me is, is mostly based on just those jokes, visual jokes and 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 coincidental uh, compositions, which for me is not enough to consider something a good picture. Definitely. So I do appreciate that. I I do agree with a lot, and I think that goes with a lot of what we said, marketing. You know, some people, they like those images of street photography, the easy to find, and... It I kind of relate to what you were saying. Like today I was out shooting and I saw so many images where two years ago me would have taken a photo. But today me, I saw it and I was like, nope, that shot's too easy. It's not that interesting. So I was able to walk away from photos that I would have made before, but not necessarily interested in, in making now. So I do agree with uh a lot of things you said. Yeah, and there, there are many pictures, for instance, that I, uh, I mean, we all have a routine and I always try to have a camera with me all the time. And I, I might have five different variations of the same picture in the same place with the same time at the same time of the year, uh, which if you see the picture, you say, well, this is nice. But this would be nice for the work I've done in in, in advertising before. Mm-hmm. This would have been that that probably would be a great illustration for Getty Images. <laughs> but I'm not a, a stock photography photographer, so uh, this is nice. Okay, it, it's it's great to have captured this image, but there's nothing I can tell about it. So I, I'm not going to publish it. I'm not going to show this. And uh, yeah, for for many. Uh, you you can see uh, street photography accounts of uh, photographers that have thousands and thousands of uh, followers, and and they have more pictures published than followers out there, <laughs> because whatever they take, they publish. And I don't uh, personally, I don't feel comfortable doing that. Like 
yeah, if it if it's just for the means of how the looks, well, I I could have ten thousand pictures in my Instagram, but yeah, uh, if there's not a story I can tell behind that picture, I think it's it's the other half of that work is missing. Yeah, definitely. But thank you for sharing. I do appreciate it. Every answer is always different, so I always like to end on, on that. And I've noticed that the term street photography now is just kind of used to describe photos not taking in a studio setting. So, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and that's uh, the blur between that term and creative photography is even well, blurrier than ever, because now we have, as we were discussing in the beginning of this episode of uh, how now we have these photographers, and I'm doing this thing with my fingers again, the quotes. Yeah, quotes. <laughs> yeah taking, taking uh, pictures, or I, I won't say even pictures, but snapshots of people uh, presenting themselves as street photographers because they're in the street. And we have this, these TikTok photographers because taking a street photography, quote, quote, because they are in the streets. And then we have other school of TikTok photography of people that only take streets and that they consider that street photography because they are picturing literally streets, empty streets. And, uh, and then there are many other old interpretations of street photography. So that's a, that's a very interesting and open topic. What actually street photography photography is for me, actually, well, the street, the street photography, I could say that it's like the, the, the means to, to, to keep my mind sane, to keep my, my, uh, my, my sanity, because if it weren't for the fact of, being able to take out to, to, to go out and take pictures uh, every day, uh, I I would be back in Mexico right now because it, it's uh, what my vehicle to survive in this new culture in this new environment. That my way to actually understand my new adoptive city, mm -hmm. uh, and if it weren't for the fact that I really love taking my Leica and my Hasselblad and my Fujifilm and whatever camera I see, it doesn't matter, uh, whatever camera I love, and, and going out and capturing uh, those images, uh, I wouldn't be comfortable living here. So for me, photography, and especially not staged photography, real-life photography, street photography, whatever we can call it, is is this means to uh, to survive and, and to and to get used to um to to this new adoptive city and to really know it through different eyes. Yeah. Thanks again for sharing that. Never the same answer. I do appreciate it. And like I said, that's always the last question I ask. But now I'd like to give you the opportunity to ask me any questions you may have. And I'll answer the best I can. Yeah, thank you. I, I would ask you, I, I would like to ask you 
three questions. <laughs> the first one is like, what's the first memory you can ever recall in your life? Ooh, that's a good one. It's a deep one. I have to dig. I remember the house that I lived in. Yeah. Blue house in Chicago. Close to a school. I forgot the name, but it'll come back to me. And it had long stairs. That's it. I don't remember inside the house. I just remember what the house looks like. Yeah. If you need to describe it as a picture, what, what, how it would look? From uh, imagine this, what, what you would see in that frame. It tried to describe it as a picture. It was long, thin, and tall. So like thin this way, long from front to back, and tall, and it was blue. There's large stairs to go up. Yeah, that's all I remember of the house. But that's the earliest that I can yeah. remember. Yeah. And that, that's great. I, I ask you that because I, I in, in the Pictoric podcast, that's a, picture, uh, a question that I always ask. And for me, that's uh, something very interesting from other photographers as well is that many of us, we tend to be like transplanted in different places mm -hmm. than where we were born. I don't know why, but photographers tend to, to, to have a lot of that. And, uh, we all have this like, uh, identity crisis. <laughs> and, and I always ask this question because for me, you are from the place where you have your first memory. Uh, so yeah, for, for me, in my case, despite being from Mexico city, my first memory is not there. And, uh, I, and, and for many photographers, actually, when I ask them, this question and <laughs> uh, they they have uh, a very different answer from the place that i actually where they actually grew, grew up so yeah that, that's why i asked you ask you that and i will not ask you three but just one last what does photography means for you and yeah <laughs> street photography or photography no, photography in general. Oh, photography yeah. in general. For me, screen photography, again, that means nothing. It's just we're photographers, photographers. not photographers. Okay, yeah. I expect that. So let's see, photography is, what does it mean to me? I think it's an, inter an interpretation on how I see the world. So it's, yeah. So I am able to share with you through whatever mediums I'm using, digital, film, whatever it is, my creation, my creative process, whatever it is I make, I'm able to share with you my view on how I see the world. Yeah, that, that, that's a great to interpret photography. And, and that's one of the greatest opportunities that taking pictures gives anyone just having a camera allows you to share that vision you have mm -hmm. 
of the world with 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 anyone and and yeah and, and that again resonates a lot with my experience because it has helped me a lot to share for instance with my family and friends uh, back in mexico how this new reality i, I have as a parisian now uh, is is and, and yeah that, that's very interesting that we share that same interpretation of what photography is and what photography is for. Nice. I'm glad we got that in common. So any other questions? You don't have to ask just only two. You can ask any more. Uh, no, I think that, that, that would be it. I, I don't want to take over your show. <laughs> <laughs> no, no worries. You're the guest. So uh, that's what we're here for. But I do appreciate it. This episode has been uh, making in the process. We were supposed to record when I had COVID and I felt really bad. I didn't want to give you my less attention with me focused on trying to survive. So I do appreciate the flexibility. We were able to make it through it perfectly fine this time. I'm feeling a lot better. No COVID. But yes, so... Everybody go support him, reach out to his pictorique, I hope I said that right, and submit. If you get featured, that's awesome. It seems like he's going to do the photography community a lot of justice by weeding out the easy cliche photos, something which I'm really passionate about as well. So support him, go visit his Instagram, follow, like, all of that stuff. We do know... Follows don't equate to skills, but it's all about a support community and just knowing people. So there's pretty much the main reason that I use Instagram is connections and less photography. I did want to go, you were, we were talking about, you know, real creative photography and it was uh, Vero and I kind of just fell out of using it. I had my own personal reasons, but it was just so hard to manage my Instagram, Vero, and, and all of that other stuff. So I just stuck with Instagram because it was easier. And I didn't have a lot of engagement with the Vero. I don't even remember the last time I checked it, but I'm sure it's still the same. Regardless, needless to say, I do want to bring a note for anyone who tries to submit and get featured on the official LSPC Instagram page. So it's like a underscore SPC. The hashtags are the only way on how I find people's photographs now. Recently, it has increased the level of followers, the number of followers, the amount of DMs I get with photos. I don't have the time to go through each and every one of those. So basically, there's two hashtags I use, like a street photography collective, all spelled out or LSPC, I'll go through those periodically and I will select, I, I select them. So it's, I don't want to say it's subjective. I try to be fair, keep my own biases out, but I select images that I feel are different and not typically the same as what's trendy. So um, everybody knows that one photo that catches your eye instantly when you see it. So something like that. So just a little background on how I select and where I'm selecting them from. It's only those two hashtags. It's a lot easier for me to just scroll through there and, and find the images of the work of other photographers. So like a 
street or like a underscore SPC is the Instagram page. And the hashtags are once again, like a street photography collective spelled out, no spaces. And the other is LSPC. So if you would like to be featured, use those hashtags and I'll find your work. Other than that, any last remarks, sir? Uh, no, no, no. Just uh, as, as you're saying, please use these uh, spaces that uh, some people like uh, Ricky and I am creating just for the love of photography. Please uh, tag uh, uh, the, the Lake Street Photography Collective hashtag and, uh, and, and interact with the publications as well as Victorics and, and these spaces we're creating are for you, so please use them. Please uh, give give us a, a, a listen, give us a look, give us a comment, because that helps us to help you as photographers to to keep these spaces going. So uh, that's it on, on my side. Thank you very much for having me, Ricky. Yeah, perfect. I do appreciate it, and thanks to the listeners who made it this far. Raúl Isles, like a street photography collective. すみません、これってライカ